Coffee Table is supported by Pier 1 Theater, Gomer's community theater supporting community voices. Schedules and information on Pier 1 Productions at 226-2287 and pier1theater.org. Well, good morning. I'm Jay Barrett. I have Brenda Alberg with the uh, Kenai Peninsula Borough Office of Emergency Management on the line. Are, are you there, Brenda? I am here. First, uh, let me let me have you introduce yourself. Uh, uh, you're, you've been with the borough for many years, uh, and uh, you're the uh, recently appointed director of uh, the Office of Emergency Management. Could you talk a little bit about your experience? Certainly. I have been with the borough coming on 14 years, of which I was originally part of the incident management team as the public information officer and through the years have also supported our state forestry and been what's called a single resource for national teams across the nation fighting wildland fires. So I was able to support those teams, what's called uh, at a federal level, the National Incident Management Organization, as well as type one teams that are throughout different states and uh, been part of emergency management since then. And when the opportunity arose, I put my name in the hat and was considered as the emergency manager September 13th of last year. Wow. Um, you know, I got to tell you, I have such uh, admiration for folks, uh, for the PIOs who work on uh, wildfire. They are uh, that whole system of getting information out to the public is the best in any government system I've come across. And I've been talking to government people for 40 years now, and there's nothing better than a, than a, a fire management team for telling you what's what and everything. I Just mad props to them, I guess. <laughs> well, and you know, that success is based on the relationships we have with our local radio stations and other media interfaces, because that truly is how we're able to communicate with our, our communities. So kudos to you. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, even even uh, more so. You know, uh, with the fire starting a couple of years ago, doing the live Zoom meetings every night, uh, town meetings and such. Um, let me ask you, we're going to talk a little bit about um, what the potential issues are here and uh, how to prepare for them. And then, uh, you know, what what to do if things get really bad, you know, assuming they haven't already. Uh, but so as far as, um, you know, preparation, what do you recommend that uh how do you recommend people uh prepare for, for everything that could uh, you know ruin our day here on the Kenai peninsula mm-hmm. well firstly regardless of what the potential incident could be is understanding that we should always be ready and one of the things that I want to praise Alaskans in general is that they are resilient and that they do assist each other during that event. Um, likely when we do pull up a shelter in an area, 
it's more for information based than it is for people staying at those shelters. And uh, that, I think, is also a testimony of our resiliency as well as ability to be ready and also to help each other. So I would say from the perspective of what we should be facing or not facing is being ready and encouraging our new neighbors who are are coming into our communities from outside uh, to be ready as well what that might be do they have their seven day emergency kit and what does that what does seven days for an alaskan look like versus where they were coming from in uh, a state outside as well as what are the other resources available to them locally that they wouldn't have otherwise known without those initial relationships with their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And this kind of preparedness, um, this works for you know, small personal emergencies and larger disasters as well, right? I mean, if you have a... Absolutely. Um, yeah, you got your barrel full of uh, food and uh, clean water, and the power is out and you're into town for the next month. I mean, that, that or week, I guess. But it also helped if... Comes um, different levels, right? Um, no different than to some extent, we are practicing preparedness on a day-to-day basis. For most of us who've lived in this area for the last 30 years or better, at least for me, if I go to Anchorage, I know I'm going to have a full tank of gas. That's a form of preparedness. I'm going to make sure during the winter months that I've got the go kit in the truck so that if I've got to change a tire, I've got the proper boots and snow gear, right? So then how do we expand that depending on the type of incident that we may be faced with at a local level? We know that for our coastal communities that may have uh, tidal inundation or live in those zones, that type of preparedness is completely different than for someone who lives in Soldat. They're not going to face the tsunami um, alert advisory or warning. So that also goes back to knowing your surroundings and what you should be prepared for. Oh, that makes lots of sense. Um, mm-hmm. What What is, hmm, is there anything that keeps uh, emergency managers like yourself uh, up at night? Is it people not being prepared or is it some actual disaster like one of the volcanoes exploding over here? What keeps me up at night? Well, I would say that it's not so much the negative things of, of keeping me up at night, but it comes back to those relationships One of the things that I think we did so well with, with the pandemic, um, particularly I want to celebrate the south side of the the peninsula, is the Homer and the unincorporated communities rallied together so well to help each other during the initial onset of the pandemic and even as we rolled into vaccines and initial recovery. that, That is a celebration of relationships because to not have those in the beginning and try to face adversity or try to support each other is a lot more difficult when you don't know each other or you don't know what each one brings as an individual resource to solve the greater problem. So that, I think, is where I would turn your question into 
um, if it were to be something that worries me at night, is how can I take that model on the south side of the peninsula and duplicate that across the entire borough, right? That's a huge task. Well, it comes to me from the initial celebration of what those communities already do, uh, what is successful in Seward, for example, and how can we come in for the supporting role? Because that's the, the function of emergency management uh, here at the borough level, is how do we support and provide additional resources for those communities or those cities who do such a phenomenal job? or if they need additional assistance based on those initial relationships, is how can we bolster whatever their needs may be? How prepared do you think we are, the communities and the unincorporated areas in general? You mentioned the resilience and the knowledge of uh, longtime Alaskans, but in general, community-wide. I, I guess if I had to rank it, between one to five, I would give us a solid four because as what I see is um, those who are coming into our communities who are not at all uh, familiar with what our preparedness requires or we have, um, uh, and I certainly don't want to start aging anyone, but whether it's folks who are coming in uh, to our area or already here, uh, young families, is being able to provide them that education as well so that they can be prepared. You know, the other thing I think that is a, a challenge is we still have about 20% of our borough that does not have reliable internet or um, has the ability to consistently look online for the latest, greatest information. So being able to have the resources, whether it is our um, ham operators or our radio operators, being able to go old school, I think is also just as important as being able to use the latest, greatest online platform. And that's, I think that uh, speaks volumes to our smaller communities because they are continually challenged with being able to have not only reliable internet, but utilities, right? So we want to be cognizant of their um, methods to getting their most accurate communi communication or resources. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, curious about... This is right. This is oh, go ahead. I'm going to plug our what we call reverse notifications. A lot of people look at it that way, is where you get um, a notification through our online system, whether you have a landline or you have a mobile phone, so you can get those alerts. Uh, some folks have Nexel, other folks who are able to get um, our what we call KBB alerts. Um, that's done through an emergency notification registration. As I just said, all landlines are already registered. But to register your cell phone, you have to go online to do so. Or you can even call our office if you need to. Uh, we're happy to help you out. But I'm going to give you that 
address real quickly, and maybe Jay, you can also put it on your page later. Yes, but absolutely. KTV Alerts is for borough-wide or for specific areas. And how you get there is through K, is through mykpd.us. So I'm going to give it to you phonetically. That's mikeyankee.kilopapabravo.uniform.com. Sierra, my.kpb.us. And what's neat about going to that dashboard is on another side note is you can also register for your um, absentee ballots for voting as well on that platform. It's getting uh, KPB alert registration. All right, give us that address once again, my. Certainly, dot. my. KPB.us. Oh, okay. I'm going there uh, right now. Uh, it's asking yeah. me to log in. Now, yep, so I know that my phone number was... Oh, yeah. Uh, my phone number was... I, I know I registered my cell phone um, mm -hmm. through the borough, but, you know, I was going to ask. I've never gotten an alert from the borough on it on your cell so, phone. did i do something wrong or should i double check it or yeah let's double check that yeah now the other part of that is if you are going to get an alert from kpb alert then it also might be based on a polygon of where you live so you may not always hmm. get alerts right right I think the Homer polygon is uh, the nexus of all disasters in the area. So we are right in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> Tsunamis, wildfire, and, and volcanoes are surrounded are by awesome it. Team down there. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a really big volcanic explosion down in the South Pacific, uh, kind of due south of us, really. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, some people in Alaska heard the rumble. Uh, many hours later, I did not. I was sound asleep. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's got me thinking. We we had the biggest volcanic eruption of the 20th century right over here. Um, Mount Nova erupt us right down the coast. So you can't really mm -hmm. see it from here. But uh, nearby, you know, we live at the beginning of an active volcanic uh, arc that stretches all the way to Japan and Russia. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, how much training or thought goes into the fact that we live near volcanoes that have erupted in, you know, living memory? As far as training here, I mean, that's another form of all-hazard event. So the response is very similar to it would be in any other response and how we prepare the team to provide those resources to affected communities. And one thing that I think should be of note is to our listeners is that the way resources are requested are based on the local response. So for the city of Homer, within city limits, that is going to be a response that's coordinated with the city resources. If those resources are depleted or there's additional assistance needed, then the city calls to the borough to assist, not to come in and take over, but to assist. 
and depending on whatever those resources may be needed. From there, if the borough cannot provide those resources, then we go to the state to help get those resources. So it starts from the local level and starts building. And then if for some reason we even have to go federal, then the state reaches to federal to also get those resources. So it becomes this uh, culminating effect of trying to support a local level with those resources that they need. Mm-hmm. I want to give out our phone number, uh, 907-235-7721. It's a number you all know by heart, I imagine, out there. 235-7721. Operators are standing by if you have any questions about emergency preparedness uh, in the Kenai Peninsula Borough. We have the, the expert with us, Brenda Alberg, who is the director of the Office of Emergency Management. By the way, saying, uh, Brenda, saying uh, KPB OEM uh, on the air, I, those are particularly good letters to roll off the tongue, <laughs> which is neither here nor there. I just, uh, I like certain combinations of words and letters. OEM is awesome. Uh, we have a question here. Um, what resources does uh, the Office of Emergency Management have? Do you have food and fuel and shelter in reserve uh, in case there's an emergency uh, uh, here in the borough? Those types of resources you're talking about, again, would be based on what we need to get for that local level. We don't have caches um, of food or, or fuel, as you might be uh, or, asking, but that doesn't mean that we can't find those resources if that's what a local community is, is requesting or to uh, effectively respond to their emergencies. Mm -hmm. Tell me about responding to an emergency. I, if there's got to be, uh, or is there, you know, there's the initial response, I guess, to make sure things don't get worse and then there's making sure everybody's fine and then there's recovery i mean how is this uh, divvied up there well we could take the model that i just shared right if it's coming at a local level and it get, and the resources are needing to expand then it goes to the borough or to the state or federal right that culminating effect of trying of a support to get back to the local level so, for example, in the event of an inundation, a tidal inundation due to an earthquake and tsunami event, and we were to look at that in the Homer area, initially that a warning, if it were to be a warning, is done by the National Weather Service. And now that's a whole other topic as far as who gets the alert and who doesn't. But let's say we're just talking about response only. And um, we know that at a local level that the city will be working to support the residents to get to uh, higher ground. But let's say that there was a tidal inundation that created some damages. And um, the city was able to react to those damages after the response, but you're going to have displaced residents. Um, you may also have resources that are tapped so that whether it's the fire department or the police department, 
that they're going to need additional assistance. So then they are going to um, ask the borough to help get those additional resources into their city so they can effectively respond and then later even be able to work on recovery. While we may not have those resources instantly, what we do have instantly is as soon as that warning is released by the National Weather Service, then we are ensuring that uh, we're com immediately communicating with that affected area in the event that something were to ex uh, expand into a bigger response. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm curious why I didn't get uh, notifications for the two tsunami warnings. You're talking about tsunamis here. We've had We're two, have to talk uh, the last two Julys. Yeah, we will. Yeah, because that particular warning system is coming from the National Weather Service. So you, we're going to see what you've got turned off on your phone. Yeah, let's, we'll do that. But as soon as we're off yeah. the air. Uh, well, speaking of communications, how does OEM communicate with uh, residents and others, you know, especially emergency responders when communication infrastructure is down? You know, so many of us rely on cell phones now and you knock a tower out of alignment and uh, boom, you can't talk to anybody. What's OEM's uh, emergency communication plan? Well, that comes from several different facets, and I'm really glad you brought that up because let's look at it from the example of evacuation. And it's going to be in an unappropriated community because I don't want to confuse what might be going on at the city's evacuation efforts. So let's talk about uh, a community that's outside the city limits, what we call an unincorporated community that needs to be evacuated. An effective form of communication really starts with that preparedness model what we like to use, ready, set, go. So during that state of readiness or preparedness we talked about earlier, people should always be in that state of ready so that in the event something happens in their local community where a response may affect what we call area-wide, then when we start talking about the ready, set, go program to those residents, then they know what they should be doing for that next level when we were to go into an evacuation measure, um, what we call level two or set, and being able to get folks out of the area that may need a little extra time, or they have animals, or those folks who just can't get into their car as quickly as they used to, um, or even getting them to that next level where it's level three go. And so coming back to that education component for that community, when I say ready set go to that community, they're gonna know, all right, we're in we need to be at some level of awareness here. Well, how do we get that awareness to them as well as the current online platforms, whether it's our page at OEM.com, right, com, or via our phone center or also, if we have, as you said, all communications down, how are we still communicating with them? Well, I hope folks have got the old-fashioned AM radio, and I hope that they are also, if they have marine radio, that's even better. Um, 
And then our ability to use our local ham radio operators, which I can't celebrate more. Um, and then because we have such great relationships with our radio stations and be able to coordinate with them to help get messaging out. Mm-hmm. You get um, me really excited about this stuff, Jay, because I just love it yeah. comes back to being able to be prepared. And um, when yeah. we are, it's a beautiful thing. I want to also celebrate Cooper Landing during the Swan Lake Fire because as a community, mm. they did such a phenomenal job of preparedness as well as initial evacuation for some of those community members who needed that extra time. And it was done yeah. in a coordinated yeah. fashion. You know, let, let me ask you about, um, you know, evacuations and stuff like that. We live in an area with, uh, you know, a good deal of um, folks who, who don't really trust government. Let's put it that way. Government's not their sure. favorite thing. They think government should, you know, number one job is to get out of their way. How do you um, communicate uh, the severity, the uh, the depth of an emergency to people who who you know would really just rather not hear from you at all. They have to evacuate. They need to, mm-hmm. I don't know, wear a mask or get a vaccine, or evacuate. Um, well, I there's got to be strategies in the OEM. Oh, I'm sorry, Jay. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that there must be a, a strategy in the. OEM's fear for um, working with folks of all stripes? The best that we can do is provide the accurate, correct information so that they can make the decision they have to make for themselves. But the importance of us being able to know that we have communicated accurate information at the right time so that they can make the right decision is then allowing us to give the onus of their responsibility upon themselves. And we do have folks who say, we don't want to, we're not going to evacuate, we're staying here. And we have their information and we know that they receive the information to make that decision. And that's what we, that's the best we can do. Hmm. I, I, you know, we can't I, make somebody evacuate. I guess you can't. Yeah. Um, huh, interesting. You know, I got a question here about uh, e- evacuations. Um, pets. You know, we see in disasters all across the country, you know, there's, there's some big disaster, a hurricane or something, and, and pets get uh, a, a lot of press because sometimes they get left behind or uh, there's no place for them. Um, do you know anything about how pets are handled? You know, if we have to go to the uh, tsunami center up here in the hill at the high school, evacuate. Can we, can we can we bring Fido and Fifi? Well, I think that's definitely a question for the city within city limits, what they have available as resources for folks who want to go to a center with their pets. Um, I certainly don't want to speak on their behalf, but the model is specific in other municipalities uh, that there would be shelters that offer uh, 
residence also for or, uh, resources for pets where you may have separate oh. shelters that don't. Uh, just depends on, on that municipality's model. Um, and, you know, the more we've realized over the years with evacuation models is that if you don't have a shelter that offers a place for FIDO, likely that person may not evacuate because they don't, that's a member of their family, right? And so I really appreciate that those models exist in municipalities. Is you can go to building A with FIDO or you can go to building B for no pets. So. Oh, okay. Um, you know, we are going to take a very short dance break here. And Brenda, we're going to see, call you back and see if we can get a line with a little less noise on it. Uh, and so we're going to come back here in just a minute or two. You're listening to The Coffee Table. I'm Jay Barrett. We're talking about disasters. Also, you can get your uh, questions ready if you want and call in 235-7721. We'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Josh Crone, KBBI General Manager. One of KBBI's main functions is to provide reliable and timely updates during emergencies like fires, floods, and tsunami warnings. We partner with local emergency management agencies like the fire departments and the city and borough to ensure the most timely and accurate coverage possible. You and your family can rely on KBBI when this happens. KBBI relies on your support, too. Give back today at kbbi.org or call 907-235-7721. Thank you. Listening to The Coffee Table, I'm Jay Barrett. Support comes from Pier 1 Theater, Homer's Community Theater, supporting community voices, schedules, and information on Pier 1 Productions at 
1-800-222-2287 and pier1theater.org. And uh, I, I was reminded it's one is spelled out, O-N-E, uh, not like the uh, importers. Uh, anyway, we are talking about emergencies and emergency preparedness and emergency response. Uh, we have Brenda Alberg, who is the director of the Kenai Peninsula Borough Office of Emergency Management with us uh, here today. And uh, we have been getting all sorts of great information about, uh, uh, you know, how prepared we are, uh, alerts from the Kenai Peninsula Borough um, Brenda, let me ask you about uh, resources for, uh, you know, regular folk, innocent bystanders. Uh, there are plenty of places online that have information about, uh, oh, you put this in your survival kit or stuff. But um, do I recall correctly that the your office has uh, like a like a list for uh, families of things to collect uh, for emergencies? Absolutely. If uh, you go to our main page at the borough, kpb.us, and uh, drop down to the Department of Emergency Management, we have resources by type of, of incident that you would want to be prepared for, either wildland fire, flooding, or whatever the all-hazard event may be. And uh, most of it wow. has a lot of common things in each list, but there's a few nuances depending on the type of response. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I did a story one time, uh, perhaps with your predecessor, about a, a, a way that you could acquire all these things in in an emergency kit over, you know, a reasonable amount of time without having to drop several hundred dollars all at once on something. Uh, do you still have that um, information, kind of deal? Absolutely. So if you go to our page, it's at kpb.us, and that's Kilo Papa Bravo dot Uniform Sierra, and then go by department, and you'll see emergency management. That way, I don't have to do the whole URL address for you. Oh, right. And the, uh, by the way, departments is hidden at the very top in small letters. So you got to look for it there. Yeah. And then, yeah, on the left-hand column, the emergency management should also be populated for you as well. You know, while uh, we will you put... on the phone here, Go ahead. Jay, one of the things I wanted to also plug for preparedness is uh, wildland fire season is going to be upon us before you know it. Uh, the extended season due to warming temperatures and drying conditions, if folks have the ability to get out there and do firewise activities now even, would be outstanding. And so I just want to give that type of plug because it does two things. It helps your home and your area be protected, but it also protects our firefighters because if they have to try to help you with your home, it's more than likely gonna not be as effective as it can be now when those types of fuels and hazards can be removed from the home area. We like to say if you could at least do a 30 foot perimeter, that'd be outstanding. If you can do more, that would be even more awesome. And with that, 
I also will plug the Community Wildfire Protection Plan, which is currently being updated for the borough, is also online for public comments right now. And we would love everyone's time to look at it and to provide comments. And how do you get there? is through our emergency management link. There's also a great, what we call story map. A story map is an interactive map, GIS based, that will not will have not only the areas for potential mitigation, but also types of resources available during emergency wildland fire response, as well as what we talked about earlier, the ready, set, go, parameters depending on what level of evacuation awareness we should be in. It's just chuck full of lots of things going on right now that we want folks input on because once the plan has been implemented, it will do uh, a phenomenal job supporting teams that come in for wildland fire suppression, but it also will help all agencies from local, state, federal, tribal, and residents to do large-scale mitigation projects. So I'm pretty excited about that as well. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, years ago going on um, oh, plenty of uh, assignments regarding uh, FireWise. Uh, it's around the year 2000, maybe, or 2001. Uh, and I, I think that really helped raise the awareness of people who lived in the uh, urban wildland um, interface there, as it's called. Mm -hmm. um, so, you're, uh, so you're saying right now is a good time to take care of slash piles? Is that what you're saying? It is a, a great time to have a weenie roast. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So I'm looking at the uh, disaster preparedness link that you uh, mentioned on your site. And there's some things here we haven't uh, talked about. Um, we talked about receiving alerts and getting uh, that information uh, and a little bit about having uh, things to be self-sufficient. But uh, shelter, um, you know, for, for some people that uh, uh, that might be an issue. Uh, creaky old houses. I, I live in a kind of a nice little house, but it's got old bones, and with all the earthquakes we have here, you know, I'm thinking about as soon as it hits, I grab my phone because I think, well, if I want to be stuck in my basement when this thing collapses, you know, I'm going to need to call somebody. Um, but can we talk about uh, uh, sheltering and uh, how to be uh, uh, and having a, a plan for shelter and a plan for uh, staying in touch with uh, family members or others in your household? I, you know, I think uh, if you'll repeat that real quickly for me, I would break it up a little bit. Oh, sure. Uh, talk a little bit about um, communication plans um, with family and um, and having shelter plans. Well, you know, and that's something that I don't think even I was I was guilty of a few years ago was if in the event that we could get to our home, what was our alternate shelter location? Because we all think, well, we've got our good friends that will help us out. And that's true. But what if they're not home? Or what if that's not an option? So what is your plan B for that alternate shelter location? 
And along with that is, as you said, communication. If you can't communicate with each other to get to those locations, then what's your alternate communication plan? What's that mustering location that you as a family has decided on? And how, how and when is it implemented? What is that trigger point to make that decision? Mm-hmm. I remember five, six years old, uh, we learned about these drills in grade school and uh, brought them home to our families. And we were to practice that and then report back to class how, how it went. And I got to tell you, me and my little brother enjoyed climbing out the windows <laughs> with permission. So. Yeah, there you go. Even so much as a, a fire drill in our own home, right? Uh, how often do we do that? And how often do we remind our young ones that in the event of a fire alarm in the home, here's what you should be doing? And what does that even sound like in the middle of the night? And, you know, something as practical as having that type of awareness for little ones so that they're not scared and not knowing how to respond. Um, being able to have that type of preparedness from the eyes and ears of the little ones should also be something that we should be practicing as well. Um, I certainly don't want to tell folks how to go about doing that, but there's something to think about when we think about our little little folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, how can uh, innocent bystanders, residents uh, around here, get involved, um, you know, to assist OEM or in any way? Well, we have a we have a great CERT program in Homer. That's the Community Emergency Response Team. And um, if you want, I could give you a phone number so we could get you connected with those groups as well as um, future training that we will have in your local area. But that also is on our page as far as what does CERT entail and how do teams meet and why do they meet. But they are definitely a critical resource for the borough because they are residents within their communities that respond in an effective fashion to support their community. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go back to uh, communications uh, earlier. We were talking about emergency communications. Uh, are you in touch with the ham radio clubs? Is is ham radio still a, a, a an emergency way to get information in and out of some places that may be otherwise cut off? They're definitely what I said earlier, part of that old school cadre of communications that we we need to have in place and are very important to our to our peak, not just the borough. Mm -hmm. So uh, up in the Central Peninsula, there's the Moosehorn Radio Club, and mm -hmm. then uh, here in the South End, there's another one you're involved with. I'm not familiar with the one in oh. the South. Hmm. My boss probably is, and he may tell me. Spark. Yeah. Well, that would be great to, to have South them named. Love. To me, they're silent heroes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, there's nothing like a old radio operator to uh, to cut through the BS and get a message out if you need to. They they have ways. They can route a message all the way around the world, not satellites, and call the guy next door if they need to. So I'm I'm impressed by yes, that. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Yes, Spark South Peninsula Amateur Radio Club. Okay, um, we just have a minute or yeah. We just have a minute or two left here, Brenda. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, uh, leave us with? Uh, any thoughts? Uh, the most important things, uh, things we shouldn't forget uh, that that might be easy to forget. Uh, anything like that? Preparedness, and that comes down to that local level. And what does that look like in your home, as well as supporting your neighbor? depending on what that emergency may be. And uh, take the time to be prepared now so that you don't have to worry about it later when you're asked to. Mm -hmm. Well, excellent. Uh, I'm gonna tell our listeners that we will have uh, a bunch of these resources posted with the coffee table at kbbi.org later today when we get it posted. Uh, it will have uh, lists of uh, seven-day kits where you can go find more information, uh, how to sign up for KPB alerts. Uh, we will have all that on our website, uh, kbbi.org, and um, you can take it from there. So, Brenda Alberg, the director of the Kenai Peninsula Borough Office of Emergency Management, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and uh, carrying me through this hour of uh great information. Uh, I, I am measurably, I think, a little calmer than I was an hour ago because uh, you've reassured me that no matter how bad things might get, uh, we're prepared here on the Kenai Peninsula. I, 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 I feel like I believe that. Don't you? Well, that's great to hear. It's a, a great borough to live in. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I'm Jay Barrett. You've been listening to The Coffee Table here on Public Radio, KBBI, AM 890. Coffee Table is supported by Pier 1 Theater, Homer's community theater, supporting community voices. Schedules and information on Pier 1 Productions at 226-2287 and pier1theater.org. 